0: Hey guys, welcome to episode 179 of a Wrestling Gal podcast, providing you with the female perspective on all things wrestling. Join me, your host and wrestling enthusiast, Ella J. As today, I am joined by four-time Emmy Award-winning TV host, entertainment reporter, and YouTuber, chris van fleet now let's chat Hello, everybody. Today, I am joined by four-time Emmy Award-winning TV host, entertainment reporter, and YouTuber, Chris Van Fleet. So how are you doing today, Chris?
1: I'm fantastic. Thank you so much for having me on.
0: Of course. Again, honestly, like I said to you, the first time I really came across your work was about six years ago in an interview you did with somebody who you've interviewed well over a dozen times now, Dolph Ziggler. Nick Nemeth, whatever you want to call him. So looking back to your first time interacting with him on screen, do you think that that dynamic has changed over time between your approach or working relationship with him now? And if so, how?
1: Yeah. I mean, so Nick is incredible. (laughs) Like Nick is so supremely talented and we're not just talking about him in the ring as one of the best wrestlers ever, but he's just such a nice, great guy. Don't tell him I said that though. Um, but no, the, the first time I ever interviewed him, like we're, we're going way back. Yeah. And I interviewed him for like WrestleMania access was like the first time I ever like interacted with him. WrestleMania 27. I brought like one of those old flip cams <laughs> to do like some like interviews. Like yeah. we got press passes mm-hmm. for that. Then I interviewed him with Vicky Guerrero when he came to do some press in Cleveland. Then I realized like, Cleveland's his home. He would be, I was living in Cleveland at the time. Mm-hmm. He would be back you know, a few times a year to see his family. So we started to develop uh, you know, a kind of a relationship where he would be back in town. I would interview him, have him on TV. And he became like a friend where I could like text him and go, Hey man, I'm going to be in, like there was a time when I was going to be in Arizona. He mm-hmm. lives in Phoenix. I'm like, I'm going to be in Phoenix. Could we do an interview there? So it's turned from more of like, me just interviewing him to him just being more of like, like a friend.
0: Yeah. That's crazy too. That's a WrestleMania 27 is a, 10 years ago now. Yeah. 2011. It would be, that's insane to see how much a relationship and rapport can develop over years too. Do you think that he is probably maybe the most person you're comfortable with interviewing? I know you've interviewed the rock several times too, but on a comfort level, is there one person you feel the most comfortable and open with?
1: it has gotta be him. I mean, I think yeah. he's the person I've interviewed more than anybody else. Yeah, probably. But I, it, it doesn't, you don't just get rapport with someone because you've interviewed them a bunch of times. You get rapport with someone just because you feed off of their mm-hmm. energy and they feed off of your energy. I just did an interview with Mickey James a few weeks ago. And I mean, she's so awesome. She's so sweet. One of the nicest person, or one of the nicest people, not just in the wrestling industry, just in general. And I feel like there's a great rapport with her, where a big thing about being a podcaster, a YouTuber, a broadcaster, an interviewer, whatever you want to call it, is trust. And I think that if you can build trust with the person that you're interviewing, the interview will be that much better because of the fact that they know you're not trying to spin this into a headline or trying to back them into a corner and get them to say something. You're legitimately just two people who are looking out for each other's best interest.
0: Ironically, I'm actually the editor of their Gawcast, so Mickey James, very familiar with her, to her as well. She's absolutely incredible, and I loved your interview with her. I love all of your interviews and hers, but that one w- did a great deep dive into something. And you could tell, like you said, that you two had this comfort level that isn't easily achieved, but you've achieved it over time and being open and so like trusting in her and she's trusting in you. It's that dynamic that goes back and forth.
1: Yeah. And it's the fact that like, I guess you do my first interview with Mickey in person. And I'm such a firm believer that like, while technology is great, like while we're able to Mm -hmm. on the other side of the country, have this conversation right now, Ella, it's so cool that when you do have the opportunity to sit down with someone, look them in the eye, shake their hand, give them a hug, feel their energy. I think that that starts to take things up to another level. And the fact that I interviewed her in person the first time, I think really accelerated Mm -hmm. that relationship
0: of course, too. And speaking again about Ziggler and besides wrestling, obviously he's huge in the comedy world, I would say so. And you two kind of have a little bit to do with the comedy world as you've been a judge at the Laughing Skull Comedy Festival back in the day. So can you tell me about that experience in the comedy world?
1: Oh man, we're going way back (laughs) with that one. Yeah, that was in Cleveland. I would interview a lot of different comedians when they Mm -hmm. would come into town. I I mean, that's been a big part of my career is as an entertainment reporter, you're interviewing people from all different aspects of entertainment, actors and hosts and directors, comedians, sometimes wrestlers. And I would interview a lot of different um, comedians, both in Toronto and in Cleveland. I actually did it a lot in Miami as well. And they were looking for like a quote unquote and very big quotes here <laughs> celebrity judge for the uh, for the comedy show. And they asked me if I wanted to do it, and I said, "Yeah, heck yes." I am not an expert when it comes to comedy, but I'm a big fan of stand up comedy, and I love having comedians on my show. So I'm like, "Yeah, please sign me up for this." And I, I basically basically cheated and like. It was just like, who who got the biggest laughs? Oh, okay. They were the funniest. I mean, isn't that how comedy works?
0: I suppose so. Some On jo- that given Yeah. Really. Some jokes, though, are maybe more like intellectual, so they might not be as funny or maybe only certain people will get them. But yeah, going in into something totally new, I would probably judge it off the same thing, like a laugh, laughometer or whatever you would call yeah, it. Yeah, the it's laughometer, you know? yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> Now, is stand-up comedy something that you have ever seriously considered adding to your list of
1: attributes? I have not. Okay. I've, I've thought about it, and I have a very good friend of mine, Michael Yo, who is also a television host, and he's crushing it now in the world of comedy. And he actually got me interested in it because he was saying, like, as just a host, and don't get me wrong. He's had an incredible career as a host on like extra and ET and extra and E and like the insider and his own podcast and Sirius XM. He said like, as just a host, he would get like some auditions. And then when he started diving into the world of comedy, he started getting so many more auditions because they're like, Oh, you're not just a host. You're also a comedian and comedians must be great at like improv. So I started to think to myself, well, maybe I should give this a try. So that is a bucket list thing that before the end of my life, I will stand on a stage and tell some jokes somewhere at some time in some town. And hopefully no one records this and hopefully it exists in this vacuum of that moment.
0: Now I'm going to put you on the spot, Chris. Do you Uh, have like a go-to joke at all that it's going through your mind? It doesn't even necessarily have to be your own, but is there a go-to joke that you tell in scenarios when people are like, tell me a knock-knock joke or something?
1: Oh, yes. Okay. I would never tell this on stage. This would not be (laughs) part of my stand-up routine at all. But I'm a huge fan of Laffy Taffy jokes. Okay. And uh, I commit some of them to memory because they're so good. So I will tell you one right now why it's so stupid this is the stupidest joke (laughs) why do seagulls fly over the sea
0: why do they
1: because if they flew over the bay they'd be bagels
0: oh my god
1: (laughs) oh it's so good and also i this one i throw into my daily life yeah pretty much every day um do you know what a dentist's favorite time is what is it herty
0: Oh my god.
1: That's good. It 230. is 230. So I try to make all yeah. of my dentist appointments at 230. So again, these are not <laughs> jokes I would ever tell no, a state. No. But they're pretty good. They're pretty good. Feel free to use them. You don't even need to credit me.
0: I would run some of those by Ziggler probably now, just in case. Nah, what nah. He now? <laughs> I, I've been to two of his comedy shows. I must say he he's pretty solid.
1: Look, Dolph Ziggler's one of those people that whatever he wants to commit himself to, he's going to be great. Yeah, absolutely. And we've seen that obviously in wrestling. And I think that once his wrestling career is done, whatever it is that he wants to do next, whether that's acting or comedy or whatever, he's going to be awesome at that too.
0: Absolutely. In your personal experience too at comedy shows, whether it was at Judging That Night or just in general, has there ever been one show or specific joke or story that you just explicitly recall being extremely humored by or just really enjoyed that has stuck with you?
1: I was such a huge fan of Joe Rogan's comedy in like the mid 2000s. And then when I saw, I was living in Vancouver at the time and I was hosting a show for MTV 2 Canada there. (laughs) And I saw that he was gonna be coming to town and I was like, oh my God, I gotta do whatever I can to go to this show. And I went to the show with one of my best friends, Luke. And I was pretty familiar with Joe Rogan's set at that time. I would listened to like all of his CDs, like on repeat <laughs> I could probably recite some of those jokes, like word for word. He had a joke at the time about Noah's Ark that probably doesn't really like probably isn't funny now, 15 years later, but I was waiting the whole time for him to tell that joke. And then when he told the joke, I was like, yeah, that's my joke. <laughs> So that's probably it.
0: (laughs) Now, was everybody else cheering too, or was it just you who had that I I mean,
1: look, when you go to a comedy show for a huge headliner like a Joe Rogan, who's, I mean, was massive in 2007, Mm -hmm. I guess that was. Yeah. I mean, it's huge now, but when you go to see a huge headliner like that, the crowd is rolling because they're that good and they're at the top of their game. So everybody was just like cracking up. The whole place was roaring.
0: (laughs) I miss comedy shows around here. They're just starting to open back up now. And I am honestly craving to go back to comedy shows and concerts coming up, but it's, it's insane. What was then the last concert or comedy show or really outing that you went to before this pandemic and all of that?
1: I love this question by the way. And I always ask this of my friends, Mm Um, you know, when I'm meeting someone for the first time or I, I go on a date, I'm like, what's the last concert you went to? Because this tells a lot about a person, right? <laughs> so the last concert I went to was some 41. And the last concert before that was Census Fail. So there you go. Very big into the pop punk.
0: Yeah. Uh, you're very well versed, though, obviously, in music at all at all times basically would you say that that's really your genre that you identify with or are you more versatile and variety in your music taste
1: if i showed you my playlist on spotify of my liked songs (laughs) Uh they're like so different there's like 90 songs in there and like from like 90 different genres i Mm -hmm. feel like but pop punk was very formative for me like in my high school and college days so that that just has a big like nostalgic place in my heart but I also listen to a ton of country, a lot of hip hop, a lot of like EDM now, uh, listen to like indie pop. Like, I don't know, like, w- would that be considered like, the, would the 1975 or the midnight be considered like indie pop?
0: I, I would say so. I wouldn't say they're so mainstream. So I, I would say indie pop probably. Yeah. Like
1: I, I do like a, I, that's like, it's a, a deep dive. Like I like some bands that like, you'd have to be pretty hardcore into that world mm-hmm. to know who like, the Dangerous Summer is. And like, they're, they're my, I think they are my favorite band of all time. Like even me mentioning Senses Fail, like mm-hmm. that's, a, that's a deep dive into the pop punk world to know who Senses Fail is. So I like to find the stuff I like, like we'll use pop punk as an example. Everybody knows who Blink-182 is. Yeah. Everybody knows who Yellow Card and All-American Rejects are. Not everybody knows who the starting line is. So that's the type of stuff that I like to I like to go to the edge of some of these genres.
0: I'm so glad that you bring up the edge because that perfectly segues into my next talking point. I would say besides a host, reporter and YouTuber, I would also classify yourself as kind of a professional bungee jumper to that <laughs> series of titles, as you've showcased in your vlog last year, as well as scaling a building on Deco Drive, I believe on at least at least two occasions yeah, way twice. back yeah, when. Yeah. yeah, so I'd love to hear more about your experiences and the preparation behind those moments where you went over the edge, as they say.
1: Oh, yeah, very nice. <laughs> very well done there, tying that together. <laughs> I've just never wanted to live in fear. And that's specifically in moments where you're skydiving, bungee jumping, rappelling down a building, swimming with alligators. I've never wanted to live in fear. I've never wanted to be one of those people who says, oh no, I could never do insert the activity Mm -hmm. here. And I want to apply that to like all aspects of my life. So instead of running from the fear, I would want to run towards the fear, figure out why am I scared of this, do it, accomplish it, and then be able to say, okay, that's not for me. I don't ever want to do it again, but at least I can say I did it. Yeah. So that, I mean, I've now gone skydiving three times. I would totally go bungee jumping again. That was a, that was a relatively easy one, fun experience. But I, I want to run towards the things that scare you. And I said it in that vlog. It is not my quote, but it's a quote that means so much to me. And it's like, uh, it's the idea that living in fear doesn't like, fear, fear doesn't prevent you from dying. Fear prevents you from living. And I think there's so many people that go, I would never do this. I could never do that. It's like, well, you could, and maybe you should. And if it doesn't work out for you, don't do it again. But at least you should give it one shot
0: what are some of those things then that you want to conquer that you are maybe a little bit fearful of since you say you want to cross off all those things you're fearful of per se and conquer them what do you want to i mean i I guess
1: i guess jumping off what we were talking about before i should probably try stand up at some point in my life be awful at it be like just terrible at it maybe or be okay at it who knows but i think that's one thing i should probably cross off my list i mean i'm I just need to write some really good material and I think I, I should get with somebody who's good at it. Maybe, maybe it's Nick Nemeth. I don't know. Maybe it's, I've interviewed a lot of different uh, comedians on the show. Maybe I get with one of them and go, help me craft five good minutes. You know, I, I, I think my whole idea is I don't want to look like I don't belong, you know, and I'll use wrestling as a great example. Oh, of this. Yeah. Remember, remember when they were doing the, the celebrity raw general managers for like a while. Yeah. And then they would often bring people in that had clearly never watched wrestling or clearly hadn't watched wrestling since like 1987. Mm -hmm. And they just look like a fish out of water. And whether you were a hardcore fan or just a casual fan, you could go, yeah, that person doesn't get it. Like, remember when Jeremy Piven called SummerSlam the the Summerfest? (laughs) Yeah.
0: That was when I Like was it was
1: those moments and it, I yeah. just want to in whatever it is that I'm getting into I just don't want to look like that person. This is no disrespect to Jeremy Piven. Yeah. It's just like I just did the movie trivia Schmodown, if anyone's familiar with that and like that is a whole world in itself and I got drafted to a team and I just said to them prepare me as much as you can so that when this episode does air I at least look like I belong on your team and I think we accomplished that. So that would be the same thing with comedy is like prepare as much as I possibly can. I think another thing is I've always thought about taking boxing lessons. And when the gyms were all closed here in California, there was a little outdoor gym that was set up at the apartment building that I work out or the apartment building that I live at. And I was working out there and there happened to be a guy that was working out next to me and the back of his shirt said something about his boxing company. And I just been thinking that day of like, I'd love to like start taking boxing lessons. I know I'm not going to be a great boxer, but it'd be a cool workout. And it'd be good to just expand my mind and be learning new things. And I like stopped after one of my sets. I took off my headphones. I'm like, Hey, are you, are you a boxing coach? It's like, yeah, I am. Do you also live in the building? Yeah, I do. And I'm like, oh my God, like what are the odds? So I think it's little things like that where I've just been like, I've had the thought, I've had the germ of an idea in my head and then life presents you this and you go, yeah, I should probably take a few steps down that path.
0: Well, if you think about it, even starting out in your broadcast career, everybody starts out somewhere knowing nothing and working their way up. And at least from what Ziegler has said, it's all about getting the reps in and all of that before you can even become maybe maybe OK before you can become good or great. So I think with anything, really, you start out as you probably do start out as an outsider because it's all about getting those reps in and, and learning the craft. And even I'm still been doing this two years now and I'm still navigating everything. I don't know every thing and i'm even sure that's the case with you i'm sure you learn new things every single day whether it's with broadcasting or music or entertainment with all of that
1: i want to learn something new every single day like and even through conversations Mm -hmm. like this like i'm learning a ton you're learning a ton and then like you can take these little nuggets from this and apply them Mm -hmm. to your own life and yeah you're right we are all novices at everything when we start off You know, nobody is a a born, you know, Tom Brady was not a great football player the first time he grabbed a football. Michael Jordan was, I mean, wasn't, isn't this a famous story that he was cut from his high school basketball team? Like, yeah. Yeah. So it's the idea that like, I I firmly believe in Malcolm Gladwell's theory of the 10,000 hours, And I think that that's such a true thing that like, you got to put in 10,000 hours before you can master something. Maybe it's not quite Mm -hmm. 10,000 hours, but it's about putting in the time, putting in the reps and like working on it and getting better and not working on the things that you're great at, but being self-aware enough to know I'm not really good at shooting three pointers. That's (laughs) the thing I got to work on.
0: Pretty much, too. And, and again, it's all about learning, too. And you've obviously dabbled just a little bit into professional wrestling and training briefly in Toronto. But you've also kind of taken some lessons from some of the greats like McFoley, John Morrison. We saw the Chop Fest with Tyler Breeze and Sean Spears. So do you have any main takeaways of the in-ring aspects that you have learned from them?
1: yeah and here's the really interesting thing i'm I'm happy to say that I started training. I am fully okay with saying that I did not complete my training, but you know i I learned how to fall to run the ropes to do the universal spot, lock it up you know do a, a lot of the really basic stuff here's what's really interesting. We can watch a basketball game right now and chances are we've both dribbled a basketball and shot it at a net. We can watch a baseball game right now and pretty good chance we've played catch before, maybe gone to a batting cage. If we watch wrestling right now, most wrestling fans have never even stepped foot into a ring. Don't even know what the ropes feel like. Don't know how hard that canvas really is. And I'm glad that I was able to go in there and get a true appreciation for it. So the biggest takeaway for me is the little things. It's the little things in wrestling that make wrestling so special. It's all about the little facial expressions, the little like what you do with your feet it's It's the little things that mean so much in wrestling, so that's my big takeaway from my you know brief moments that I've spent in the ring. Uh, I think that and again, it's also about the ten thousand hours like it's about like putting in the time, putting in the reps, knowing that like getting a feel for it, which obviously I don't have after, you know, only training for a few months, but it's that the, those 20 year veterans, those 25 year veterans, those are the people that could literally do it blindfolded, you know, like put Chris Jericho in there with literally anybody. Chris Jericho could, you know, have a five-star match with me or you because he's that good. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's those little things of like being able to speak that language, which is something that I I learned early on. There's a huge arbitrage between the person that has five years experience and the person that has 25 years of experience.
0: During your brief time wrestling, though, you did manage to kind of take a page out of The Rock's book and give a rock bottom to uh, Nikki Valentino. So how exhilarating was that for you to kind of now you've interviewed him so many times, but you've also kind of gotten to take a page out of his book. So how does that feel for you in that moment to now know that you've come full circle with that?
1: So I was the guest ring announcer at Prime (laughs) Wrestling. And I'd started to build this storyline with Nikki Valentino Mm -hmm. and we'd written this, that we were going to have some sort of storyline. We didn't know what the payoff was going to be, but we'd written this storyline where like, I cost Nikki Valentino a match. Then he was very angry. And then he was very, you know, every time I would be a guest ring announcer, he would get up in my face and we, it was, it was culminating. It was going to be something. So we ended up having a match where I was in the corner and I got to choose a wrestler of my choice to compete against him. So I chose a very popular wrestler from Cleveland. His name is Josh Prohibition, who basically came out of retirement, a huge fan favorite, to wrestle on my behalf. And I was like cornering him and I was like cheering him on. And at the end of the match, we knew that there was going to be a payoff where I was going to finally, after like a year plus, get my revenge on Nikki Valentino, who had been just so terrible to me. He's just an awful human, right? So as we were preparing for this, he goes, I want you to like, I want you to look strong here. I want you to give me, his exact words, I want you to give me a Fed move, meaning like WWF, like the Federation. And Hmm. I said, okay, like, I'm, yeah, sure. Like, I'm down. And he's like, well, what do you want to do? Like, how about a stone cold stunner? I'm like, yeah, maybe, I don't know. Said, I think I can give a pretty good rock bottom. Like, it's been a while, but I think I could do it. He goes, well, let's, let's go try. So we get out to the ring. a bunch of people that are, you know, doing their thing. We said, hey, can you just give us a second here? And I, we kind of did it in slow motion. Like, all right, I'm going to come in. I'm going to try to throw this punch at you. You're going to duck. I'm like, oh, I know. I'm going to duck. I'm going to grab you. And then he's like, I'm going to bend. You're going to jump. We're going to do this thing. He's like, okay. All right, well, it seems like you know what you're doing. Let's do this in real time He swung the punch, I caught him, looked around, dropped the rock bottom. It was so exhilarating to do that. Like when we rehearsed it, I'm like, oh, I think that was pretty solid. And everyone that was around, they're like, dude, that looked pretty good. And then to be able to pull it off in front of the crowd was a pretty cool moment. Like, I think that again, going back to what we were talking about, about having like guests in the world of wrestling, it's always a little bit embarrassing when that person has no clue what they're doing. So the fact that I could pull this move off and make it look half decent, I was really proud of the fact that I didn't look like, you know, I botched the move completely.
0: You had some experience, though, at that point. It's not like you were totally green. But that's so cool that you got to perform a move of one of your favorite people ever, basically. And now you've gotten to work with him numerous times. It's that whole full circle aspect going on again, which is crazy. I haven't
1: showed. I should show The Rock this clip. You haven't showed him? No, I don't. I didn't want to be that guy.
0: I think you need to be that guy, Chris.
1: Yeah, Maybe, maybe.
0: Maybe. Or else I'm going to bring it up. Just kidding. Not really.
1: If you ever <laughs> interview The Rock, you're welcome to bring okay. it
0: up. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. I am curious too, though, in the time that you were training briefly, did you have any vision of who your wrestling persona would be or what it would entail?
1: I had you know, a character that I created as, when I was a backyard wrestler. So I envisioned it being some sort of version mm-hmm. of that. So I was a backyard wrestler in high school. And then it was two years later when I was training to be a pro wrestler. So my backyard wrestling character was Chris Sharp, the classic Mm -hmm. heel, sharp talking, sharp walking, (laughs) sharp dressing. Damn, he's just so sharp. So Chris Sharp was like your class. He was very heavily inspired by Triple H's like heel work at the time, like. Mm -hmm chewed gum while I cut promos. I was I taped my right wrist and right hand like Triple H and then my just my left wrist because that's what Triple H did. So I envisioned myself being some sort of heel character because I think every wrestler will tell you it's so much more fun to be a heel. I remember getting the dictionary.com word of the day. I'd signed up to like their mailing list. Dictionary.com would mail the word of the day. And I was kind of like developing this character, not while I was at wrestling school, just kind of in my mind of like, what if I was this heel character that was just that much smarter than you? And I used words that you couldn't quite understand because, you know, you weren't weren't educated like I was. So that was, I don't know, I was kind of going down that sort of path. I'm sure I still have this collection of dictionary.com, mm-hmm. word of the days that I could use in promos, but that was, yeah, that was something I was kind of working on. I never got flushed out into anything, but definitely a heel and definitely, you know, a, a much better person than all of those disgusting people in the crowd.
0: Well, I will say you do dress very sharply and your hair today is looking very sharp as well, which oh, you were kind you kind of fixed right you. before. It was, it was off very camera. very out
1: of place when we got on here. Yeah.
0: Gotta look sharp always. Again, full circle moments, right?
1: Yeah, I was playing around when I was the backyard wrestler uh, that my moniker would be the professional. The professional Chris Sharp. And then I realized, I don't know, that's not good. That's not great.
0: Sounds kind now of Now I think, and
1: it just came to me, someone uh-huh. can take this. I think it would be a great moniker to be the living algorithm. We talk about all the time about algorithms mm-hmm. in the social media world. What if you were the living algorithm or just the algorithm? Someone's going to take that and they should.
0: The first person that comes to mind right now is Deanna Perazzo Cause she's always talking about like in her promo coming into impact again, she's talking about having the right algorithm and calculations and being technical and all that. So maybe, but that's well, just the, the, the first virtuoso. Yeah, that's true. But I mean, you have so, people with multiple monikers, like triple H, like you said.
1: Yeah, that's true. We'll see. He uh, assassinates your cerebral cortex. Mm-hmm.
0: He's also the king of kings.
1: He's also the game. Mm-hmm. We'll see. Yeah.
0: I- I'm curious, too, though, switching gears here. You've done a lot of reporting, some from pretty weird places on occasion. Like one time it was the sketchy ass warehouse, as you <laughs> called it. So in your opinion, what has been the strangest place you've reported or covered an interview from?
1: I mean, being part of Talk and of Mania, too. <laughs> And reporting from a sketchy-ass warehouse was pretty fun. I love that they wrote that. They wrote that for me. I'm like, yeah, I'll say that, Um, of course. (laughs) But I think the most memorable for me, at least off the top of my head, is when I was living in Miami, I was hosting a show called Deco Drive. It's a very popular entertainment show there. And when hurricanes come through South Florida nobody cares about your entertainment coverage anymore. Nobody cares about the sports coverage anymore. Mm -hmm. It's all hands on deck and we're all going to be looking at this hurricane that is barreling down on us and is going to affect every single person that lives here. So I very quickly, uh, the few times that there was a hurricane very quickly became a hurricane reporter. So yeah. yeah. So I stood out in the middle of hurricane Irma and Yeah, I was in the middle of whatever it was, 80, 90 mile an hour winds. wild. Yeah, it wasn't fun. But that was, it was definitely an experience. Yeah. And I'm glad that I did it. I'm glad that we, both me and my camera operator were able to stay safe. And I think that that's a big thing is people don't give enough credit to the person that's holding the camera because they can't see them. I get it. But I had a... I had a seasoned professional and an incredibly talented photographer named Manny, who was with me, not only before the hurricane, during the hurricane, and then in the coverage after the hurricane. And that night I was reporting to like, I think I reported to like six in the morning as Hurricane Irma was blowing through. I was on Hollywood Beach in South Florida, which is right around Fort Lauderdale. Yeah. And it was a lot, I mean, it was a lot. I worked 18 hours that day before the hurricane and then during the hurricane standing out there basically going, yeah, it's really windy out here.
0: Oh my gosh. Especially too, with what you do, I, I know it takes a toll like on your body, your sleep patterns and all of that stuff. So how do you kind of stay on top of your game, especially if you're like sleep deprived or going through not traumatic, but I guess wild circumstances like that.
1: I now prioritize sleep. Like that is such an important thing for me. And I know that it's a really popular thing in the entrepreneurial lifestyle to be like, oh, I work 18, 20 hour days. It's like, yeah, cool. But like, when do you sleep? When do you work out? Like, what are you eating? Like that stuff's really, really important. You got to fuel, you know, you got, you need that energy and you need to be able to rest up. So I prioritize sleeping every night. I'm getting to bed around the same time, waking up around the same time every single day. So I think it starts with that. And it also starts with a clear vision for like, what are you doing the next day? What are you doing the next week? What are you doing for the next month? And every night before I go to bed, I write out my get to-do list. So this isn't my to-do list. These are things that I get to do the next day. And I think framing it in that mindset shifts everything. These are things that you're grateful that you get to do. I'm grateful that I get to talk to Ella J today. And I think that's a really important thing to be able to frame it in that uh, mindset.
0: And ironically, you have a little sign in your background that says, be great, be grateful. So I love that.
1: It's a phrase that's changed my life. Mm -hmm. Because if you can live in this attitude of gratitude every single day, if you can be thankful for the things that you have, rather than focusing on the things that you don't have, how could you possibly be upset? If you're thinking about all the things that you're grateful for every single day, I'm grateful for my health. I'm grateful for my parents. I'm grateful to have a roof over my head. I'm grateful to be able to live in this beautiful place, whatever it happens to be. How could you possibly be upset?
0: Of course. And like I told you off air, I'm really grateful for people like you and Alicia dude, and everybody in this wrestling interviewing and broadcast world. And you obviously pride yourself on a more conversational style Of interviewing and all of that, as you like to call it. So, I'm curious too, what are some of your tips or advice to going off the cuff sometimes so you don't come across as too rehearsed
1: or too scripted? The biggest thing is just listen. And I think that a lot of interviewers don't listen. There's also a big difference between being an interviewer and being a conversationalist. And I think that too many people psych themselves down when they get into this thinking about, oh my God, it's an interview. Well, really every interaction with another human is a type of interview. It's Mm -hmm. I say something, then you say something. And then I say something again after that. And I think the biggest thing is to listen. And the late, great Larry King said it best. He said, I never learned anything by talking. And it's so true. Like there's a reason that we were made with two ears and one mouth. And I know it's so cliche, (laughs) but it's also so true. Mm -hmm. And I think that a lot of people, when they first get into this, aren't following the flow of the conversation. They're not listening to what's being said. And there might be a great little nugget in there that's sitting there waiting to be mined. And they just go right on to their next question because that's what they wrote down. That's what they prepared. So it's listen. That's the that's the most important thing.
0: Is, I'm curious then, too, in, in your world of listening throughout 16 years now officially of being in broadcasting and conversation, is there ever been a certain conversation with anybody, whether it's been broadcasted or not, that you just really is so memorable to you where you're just kind of taken back or something really stuck out to you about that conversation just by listening to it?
1: Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of them. But I think that right off the top of my head, the interview I did with John Cena two years ago at WrestleMania in New York, number one, he wasn't doing any interviews at all that weekend and found the time to do this interview with me through a mutual friend, which was so like, I was so grateful for the opportunity Mm -hmm. to do that. And he basically told me like, I've got 10 minutes, boom, we need to start right now. And I knew how valuable his time was. I mean, everyone's time is valuable, Mm -hmm. but I knew like what a crunch of time that he had here. And you know when I watch that back, those first 10 minutes are filled with so many great nuggets of info, so much great insight. I mean, I still think about every day, the fact that he said, control the controllable. And don't focus on the things in your life that you don't have control over. What you do have control over is how you wanna react mm-hmm. to the things that are happening in your life. And then the fact that I tried to wrap up the interview at the 10 minute mark, and he basically pulled his phone out, looked at the time and went, ah, eh, you still got more time. It's like, what? Oh my gosh. And then again, I tried to wrap it up a few minutes later because I wanted to be super respectful of his time. And he goes, you got time for one more question. (laughs) I'll never forget that. And it's those little moments of self-awareness from John where a little bit went such a long way for me.
0: That's that's so incredibly important, too, because, again, like especially I've never done like time constrained a few of them time constrained interviews, but especially somebody like John Cena, who, like you said, you had that opportunity on a weekend where nobody else had that opportunity is just another testament to the amazing work that you do and that John trusts you. Again, it's all tying back, tying back into developing that trust and that rapport with people in this industry.
1: Yeah, and I was, you know, grateful again to be able to Mm -hmm. interview him just a few weeks ago for Fast and Furious 9. And to be able to connect with him and go, hey, I saw your movie. It's great. It's so entertaining. I would love to be able to interview you for it. And the fact that this was able to come together, like, it meant a lot to me. And as a wrestling fan, we're all really proud of when somebody from our world Mm -hmm. goes out and crushes it outside of our world whether that's The Rock or John Cena or Dave Batista or numerous other people who have done it. But it's exciting. Like you kind of feel like it's one of your own, like going on to something Mm -hmm. better. So yeah, it just meant a lot to me.
0: Now, to close things out, I noticed a little pattern amongst your career as you grew up in Toronto, then moved to Cleveland, then to Miami, and now Los Angeles, where you reside. So you've kind of progressively moved further and further south into the warmer climate. So was that a conscious decision to get away from the overall chilliness of Ontario, or did those just opportunities just happen to fall in line that way?
1: I am happy to say that I've never (laughs) experienced winter unless I want to now, I haven't experienced winter mm-hmm. in like six years Yeah, since I moved from Cleveland. Now that I live in California, if I want to experience winter, I can drive two hours to Big Bear and be in the snow and be in the mountains, which is exciting. And then I can also leave there and then go and like be on the beach two hours later and go surfing or sit at the beach. It wasn't a conscious effort, but as I was looking for other opportunities, as I was leaving Cleveland, I kind of said to myself, want to live somewhere with palm trees. And palm trees are like, I don't know, they're like the iconic symbol of you live somewhere warm. Yeah. So I reached out to some places in Phoenix. I'd looked in places in California. I was looking at opportunities in Tampa and Miami and Orlando. And I was just like, I want to live somewhere warm. <laughs> and I feel like people are just inherently in a better mood when it's 80 degrees and you don't know if it, is it August or is it April or is it January? I don't know because every day is sunny and 80 degrees. It's amazing.
0: I'm just the exact opposite of that. I just, for me personally, I can't do anything above 75. So I don't know how the heck you guys do like 80, 90, 100 degrees. But again, again, everybody's different. And if if you're happy in the heat, Chris, and you're thriving, go for it. Absolutely.
1: <laughs> it is a very. It's not even heat. It's just comfortable. <sighs> Daniel Tosh has this great <laughs> comedy bit where he says, uh, you know, he's talking about moving to California. People yeah. are like, well, don't you miss the seasons? He's like, well, I just picked the best season and always live in it. Oh, my God.
0: That's so funny, though. And it's true. That's so true, though. Now, lastly, as a Canada native, perhaps the most important question of this entire interview. Do you prefer Tim Hortons or Starbucks?
1: Oh, what kind of question? Of course, I prefer Tim Hortons. Yeah, good.
0: Good answer.
1: Yeah, no, no Canadian would ever choose Starbucks. <laughs> no, no good Canadian, at least. But I, I will say over all of those is Swiss Chalet which Swish chalet is a rotisserie chicken restaurant
0: oh, uh, okay. in
1: Canada, mostly in Ontario mm-hmm. that I miss so much. So that's going to be the first thing I do when I go back to Canada, when this travel restriction is finally lifted is go back home, see my parents, which I haven't seen my parents in far too long. It's been since Christmas of 2019. Oh
0: my gosh. Yeah. It's going to be
1: really emotional mm-hmm. to finally see them after more than a year and a half. And then we're going to go straight to Swiss chalet and then probably grab some Tim Hortons after that.
0: What's your go-to Tim Hortons order?
1: So I don't drink coffee okay, because I, I can't either. imagine me with any more energy. Mm-hmm. So they have a great candy cane flavored hot chocolate in the winter, that with whipped cream on it. And then they have a vanilla dip donut, which is basically the <gasps> sprinkle donut. Yes,
0: yes, yes.
1: And they have these things called timbits, which are just donut holes.
0: I'm from Buffalo. We have we have Tim, yes, Hortons, you have Tim Hortons, here. Hortons. I live too. off of Tim Hortons
1: too. I love so my timbits. timbits are th- <laughs> the go-to honey dip timbits?
0: <gasps> oh my God, Chris. Okay, that's my honey dip donuts are my absolute favorite of all time, or anything caramel. So I agree. Okay, we're on the same wavelength. I love oh, it. Tim, Hortons. love it, love it.
1: Love Tim Hortons.
0: People that I feel like aren't from the Northeast, like they're missing out a lot. Like Starbucks, some things are, are good, but most of the time I just prefer my good old Tim Hortons. Maybe it's because I've lived here my whole
1: life. I don't know. Love Tim Hortons. Have you been to a Tim Hortons in Canada though?
0: Uh, yes. I've been to Canada. Again, borders are closed, but I have been to Canada numerous times. I have, but Because it's been Tim a while. Hortons in
1: the U.S. is a little different. They call it the Tim Hortons Bake Shop. And I'm like... I mean, I guess, but mm-hmm. it's just Tim Hortons.
0: I nobody. We just call it Tim's straight up here. Oh, I'm oh, making a Tim's I mean, run. Timmy's where Tim's. I'm from. Oh, really? Interesting. Yeah, Timmy's.
1: Everyone, are right? you getting some Timmys? Mm. You going out to get some Timmys? <laughs>
0: We just call it Tim's again. Maybe it's just that Canada, U S border situation. I don't know, but no, I, we, nobody really calls it the Tim Hortons bake shop here. We just say Tim Hortons or I'm going on a, on a Tim's run, whatever. I don't know.
1: Timmy's run. Yeah.
0: Timmy's, huh? Okay. I'm gonna have to start saying that now. I don't think people would fully know, but maybe. Okay. (laughs) Now, before I let you go, Chris, can you please tell the listeners where they can find you on social media and where they can check out insight with Chris Van fleet?
1: Well, thank you so much for having me on. This has been so much fun. And wherever you're listening to this right now, you can find my podcast, Insight with Chris Van Vliet. Subscribe to both of our shows, <laughs> by the way. I'm sure you're already subscribed to Ellis, but subscribe to both of us. And then on social media, it's just my name, at Chris Van Vliet, V-A-N-V-L-I-E-T.
0: Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Chris. It's been a true, true pleasure.
1: Oh, the pleasure is mine. You're awesome. So thank you so much for having me on. By the way, were you more of a Salino girl or Barnes girl?
0: Um. Well, unfortunately, um,
1: didn't Celino just pass away?
0: Yeah. So now I believe it's his brother that's in charge of it. So now it's just Salino and then Barnes is two separate firms. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Because I believe his brother took over the whole Barnes firm. I saw commercials. I'm like, I know he just passed away, but then it just calls, call Salino. And then it, there's a whole oh. Barnes commercial. So no, there are no more, unfortunately. This was,
1: I mean, I grew up watching is yeah. it Fox 29.
0: Yeah, yeah. Fox 29. I, and now grew up I, I watching believe up Fox it's,
1: 29. Yeah. We'd get all the American commercials. Have you been injured in an auto accident? <laughs>
0: I'll call eight 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 eight. 888-8888. I so you know many eights. I don't know and then William Matar and all of that but now oh, it's yeah. my now it's my TV Buffalo. I believe it has been for a while now but yeah Fox 29 and yeah they they keep changing everything Hurt but no. in the
1: car call, call William
0: 444 no. <laughs> four 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 <laughs> guys you won't understand I don't think. <laughs>
1: Oh, this was, this was great.
0: <laughs> That's so fun though. But again, thank you so much for joining me today, Chris. It's been an absolute pleasure. And again, I admire your work so much. You are a true pioneer in all in all and everything you do. So I look forward to what you have next and you're just going to keep continuing to thrive. I just know it.
1: Thank you so much. I really appreciate you and I'm excited to see what's next for you.
0: Thank you. I'm trying, but yeah, again, you're thank you it. so much.